Welcome to the Donut Racing Show, everybody, where we bring a single canned black olive to the martini with a blue cheese stuffed green olive podium of Formula One racing. Lots of olives in today's intro. My name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined by my co-hosts, my favorite auto journalists, authors of Racing with Rich Energy by the book. If you haven't already, what are you doing if you haven't? It's sitting on my bookshelf right now. Elizabeth Blackstock and Alanis King. Hi. Good morning. This week, we have got an exciting summer break change up to the DRS format. Thanks to our sponsor, the WD-40 brand. We are interviewing Extreme E driver Kyle LeDuc about his experience in the series. And, you know, Extreme E is not Formula One, but lots of folks in Formula One are involved, including Lewis Hamilton. So we figured, what better time than summer break to talk about it? I mean, what better time indeed? Former... DRS guest Jensen Button also involved in uh, Extreme E. Oh, that's our guy. Elizabeth ran into him at Extreme E one time. I did. We watched uh, Formula One together. It was the spa qualifying that was rainy and then the spa race that got rained out. (laughs) Oh, what a horrible race to watch together. And then, of course, Carlos Sainz. Also races in Extreme E on occasion, correct? Uh, He used to. Uh, He has a team now. And then Nico Rosberg, former Formula One world champion, also has a team. Like all of these people, they're just in here. They're hanging out. They're ready to roll. They're having fun out there in the dirt Mm -hmm. with their EV cars. I want to drive one of them. Honestly, I would too. They look sweet. I would like to drive one of them too. I said they look cool and they look sweet at the same time. And I said they look (laughs) queet. That's a new thing. We can coin that. I don't know if I want to be responsible for that. I don't know what's worse, that or the juice. <laughs> Some juice. That's queet as hell. That's actually, uh, I like that. You know what? That's mine. Queet is mine. <laughs> You know what, Nolan? None of us, we were not fighting over it. If you said that, people would be like, I've never heard that word before, but I assume it's it sounds real enough. It sounds like cute and if sweet. If it comes together. from California, everyone will just adopt it. Like, not even a second thought. Yeah, that's queet, yeah. That totally. is hella queet. Actually, hella hella's more of a Bay Area thing. Everybody make queet a thing like fetch, and Nolan will be proud. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be so proud. <laughs> All right, so before we talk to Kyle, we're going to give you a little background on Extreme E. Yeah, Extreme E is an all-electric off-road racing series founded by Alejandro Agag, who is the same guy who helped make Formula E a reality. So Formula E races in city centers with the goal to bring more audiences out to learn about sustainability in electric motorsport. Extreme E is the exact opposite. Its events, which are called Expri, are held in remote locations around the world that are being uniquely impacted by climate change. And Interestingly, like fans are not actually allowed to come spectate. Um, I do know that like if you're a local to the area, they'll let you come hang out. But otherwise, they don't want you to travel to come see it. That is very interesting that people aren't allowed to watch. It's all about reducing the carbon footprint of the fans that travel. The fan travel is a significant portion of what makes motorsport unsustainable. You know, everybody says I live in the middle of nowhere, but there's no extreme E near me. So... Obviously, I do live somewhere. You need, to, you need to get more remote. I do need to get more remote, Elizabeth. I do need to get away from everyone. I mean, there's tracks like Glen Helen that stadium trucks race at. I wonder if this sport would grow a little more if they made an active push to race at these sort of venues where 
uh, the infrastructure already exists and maybe had special events out at those like impacted zones. Cause I mean, ha- having a sport where you can't even watch it is, is really strange. I think it's brave and different. I agree. So there are a lot of things that make extreme E unique, but one of the biggest is its legacy program. Basically, the series heads out to these remote locations a little bit before the actual race to set up some kind of conservation or sustainability effort that the series will then maintain later. So, during a race in Scotland, Extreme E aided in river restoration, while over in Saudi Arabia, it has helped conserve red sea turtles and also taken part in rewilding initiatives, which basically means helping restore the natural ecosystem of the area. That is pretty sick, but also... There's no grandstands for the fans to watch that happen. Nolan, there are no grandstands in the wild. I know. (laughs) That's true. They're called your feet. They're called your feet. Stand there. (laughs) (laughs) Another big part of Extreme is the greater push toward gender equality. In this series, each team consists of one car that is driven by two drivers who have to swap places during the event. And one of the drivers in each car has to be a woman. I would call her friend of the show, even though we've never talked to her. I only say that because we sort of worked together on Dirt 5 many years ago now. (laughs) Jamie Chadwick. uh, Oh, okay, Jamie, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she drives an Extreme E. That's That's pretty cool. I think it's super cool, too. They mandate that it has to be equal time as well, so you can't just, like, throw a woman in for a hot second and hope for the best and call it good. Um, yeah, Jamie Chadwick raced for Veloce. Um, I don't think she does anymore. Yeah, she's in, in Indie Lights now. Um, but when, when she was, she did do a couple outings with them in Extreme E. So, in Extreme E, every single team competes in a spec SUV called the Spark Odyssey 21, which has 550 brake horsepower and weighs about 2,000 pounds. Damn! The weekend format has evolved pretty substantially over the series three years, so as it currently stands, a weekend is separated into two rounds, one of which takes place Saturday and the other on Sunday. Each day sees two different qualifying sessions, and each session is split into two five-car heats. Basically, five cars race against each other twice, And that means that there will be four mini races total that determine qualifying. The five fastest cars from both qualifiers go on to a grand final race and the five slowest go to a redemption race. You get championship points after qualifying and then after both the grand final and redemption races. And then the next day, the whole format takes place again for the second round of the weekend. The calendar changes every year, but in 2023, Extreme E will feature 10 rounds in five different locations. The season started off with the Desert X-Prix in Neom, Saudi Arabia. Then we had the Hydro X-Prix in Scotland, followed by the Island X-Prix in Sardinia. Still on the calendar is a still-to-be-determined X-Prix, and then the season will end in Chile for the Copper X-Prix. Uh, Chile would be sick. I'd love to go down to Chile. I'm going to Chile. I love the names. Imagine competing in the Hydro X-Prix. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, so the calendar is fairly short and compact because Extreme E is obviously trying to reduce travel emissions. So just about everything needed to host an X-Prix gets packed onto a giant ship called the St. Helena, which then sails to the next race location. I think this is one of the coolest things about this, even though it sounds like something from a dystopian sci-fi film. (laughs) 
<laughs> where uh oh what's that guy's Justice Smith, the guy from Detective Pikachu, the uh he plays the main character in this movie where he's like a race car driver uh on this series. Uh even though that sounds like a, a plot line, this is actually pretty sick. So yeah, the Saint Helena uh sails to the next race location. This ship used to be a royal mail ship in the United Kingdom, but now it carts around electric cars and all the infrastructure that Extreme E needs. I love this. This is dope. I, I think it's cool. I also think the phrase royal mail is very cool. And I think that's just being like I'm the royal an American. Mail. I think the royal mail is cool. Like, who's mailing me? Why is it royal? Well, don't mess with the queen's mail. So dude. fancy. Yeah. <laughs> the queen? Her mail? What happened to her? It's it's over for her. It's the king's mail now. <laughs> and if you haven't guessed by the qualifying format, there are currently 10 teams competing in Extreme E. Each team has its own car, and the two drivers of each car have to drive an equal distance in each event, but they can decide which driver will be the first behind the wheel. This offers a little bit of additional strategy. So I actually, like... In the first season, went out to the Arctic X-Prix, which was in Kangarlusuak, Greenland. We stayed in a converted military barracks and were bussed out to the track each day. Um, and the racing was really cool, but I also kind of want to mention some of the stuff about like the legacy program um, and all of the awareness that goes into you know what the series is doing about getting hands-on with the environment. Because like when you hear that, uh, I think a lot of us are can be jaded about motorsport and when we hear like hey a legacy program we're gonna come out here and fix something everyone's like yeah okay just for like the pr of it um but in greenland it was actually really it felt very meaningful um we headed out to a glacier and we took ice samples so they could study the impact of carbon emissions on these massive ice caps that are melting um, and it was really wild because you could actually see the ice turning black as a result of like climate change and the carbon in the air. Uh, and there were also initiatives to teach the local children about climate change and children's rights. And we spent a ton of time learning about the indigenous culture of the area. We were like embedded with the tourism society there um, that were folks who were born and raised in Greenland and have lived there, you know, through generations. So it can kind of, like, it know it sounds like PR speak about sustainability, but it, it was the first time at a racing event where I felt like I was actually having some kind of, like, positive impact on the region I was in that went beyond just showing up and watching cars go fast, which was cool. Like, it was really neat to see that, but also, you know, we were doing, like, we were doing science. I was hands-on. I think that means a lot coming from you hearing that, because, like, you've been to a lot of motorsport stuff you've both of you have been through a lot of pr mm -hmm. so to actually feel like it was actually legit is pretty significant yeah i totally agree whatever elizabeth says i trust and that's the that's the black stock guarantee <laughs> <laughs> i'll be able to report back actually i'm going to the season finale this year in chile so i'll be able to report back about what that one was like and what they do in that one uh because obviously there's not greenland up there it's a little different than Greenland. A little different. Obviously, Extreme E is not Formula One, and this is a Formula One podcast, in case you forgot. But Extreme E actually does have quite a few ties to the sport. This year, there are tons of teams that are owned, run, or sponsored by people who have been involved in Formula One. There's Neon McLaren Extreme E, which is run by Zach Brown as part of his McLaren Motorsports Multiverse. Try saying that 10 times fast. 
Uh, Lewis Hamilton has a team called X44 Vita Carbon Racing. That's cool. Aforementioned friend of the pod, Jensen Button, has a team called JBXE. And as you guys mentioned, former world champ Nico Rosberg has Rosberg X Racing. Carlos Sainz's dad, also named Carlos Sainz, owns Aconia Sainz XE. And Prospective Entrance Andretti also have an Extreme E team. I did not know that. That's pretty cool. The funny thing about um, Nico Rosberg's team name is that when you're looking at Rosberg X Racing written down, it kind of looks like it says Rosberg X Rosberg for a minute. And you're like, damn, that is just like a lot of Rosberg right there. And then you realize it says racing. Yeah. (laughs) See, my problem with that team name is that I was so indoctrinated in the Jeep 4xE that I constantly pronounce it as Rosberg by racing. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Like, I can't just say the X now. Yeah, the, the X is, <laughs> it's kind of difficult because you're, like, you want to say bye. Formula One and Extreme E are still pretty distinct in terms of technology and the things that they do, but the fact that we're seeing such an interest in the sport from so many F1-adjacent personnel should signal the fact that this series is meaningful, especially as we enter an era of more sustainability in F1. Personally, I think Extreme E sets a very cool example of what motorsport can be way beyond the stuff we actually see at the track, and I'm honestly very stoked that, like, I don't know, this even exists. It's really cool to be, to have a racing series that is, you know, primarily just taking care of the environment. Yeah, I think, like, even the way Extreme E describes what it does is very interesting. Because when you talk about going to the remote parts of the world, like, we're going to the most remote locations affected by climate change. I'm like, damn, this is like a nature documentary. Like, I want to go. And that's that's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. Like, and you're interested. I like the big boat that they have yeah like that's cool i like that and i I like like the the boat (laughs) the boat is actually very cool i got to go on it and drink champagne on it and i felt like a little rich boy do they start on the boat is the starting line on the boat no the starting line is not on the boat Oh, see that'd be sick they should think about that yeah it would be very cool but no they they ship everything off into into some some area where they race but (laughs) No, I don't even think the cars drive off the boat, which is a good photo opportunity if they don't do that. It should just get a Robbie Gordon ramp and just... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Boom! Off the boat. Yeah, that'd be dope. They should have like a loop on the boat, like a Hot Wheels style loop. No, that's terrifying because like I see the cruise ships with like the water slides on them and stuff and all that stuff looks like it's not supposed to fit on there. Oh, no. And that would terrify me. No, cruises are terrible places. They're uh, that, terrifying. That being said, they're awesome. Uh, Alanis, I think you would you would love you would love a cruise. They're no, great. absolutely no, Nolan. No, no. You no, can no, no, drink no, no. as soon as you get on that boat. That I you don't do even have one. to go through safety. It, no, look, look. <laughs> it's different. Like, it's different than drinking at your house. You're well, on a we're big in old boat. National waters here. You're like twenty miles off the we coast. Can, we can do whatever we want. There are no rules. You would have a good time. I'm telling you. Okay, yes, but also my favorite genre of movie is the boat sinking. So, like, mm. Poseidon, mm-hmm. those are the best movies. There are, like, three of them total in the world, and that is the best genre of movie, and that is why I will not get on a boat. Well, I think you're really missing out. It's like Chili's is a boat. That's what a cruise is. That's what cruises are. Honestly, you're not wrong. Okay, well, yeah, but Chili's is not in the middle of the ocean, therefore, like, there's not a chance that I would like sink in the ocean 
Do you have an ocean phobia? Yeah, I do. I have an ocean phobia. 100% ocean phobia. Okay, well, then maybe you wouldn't like the cruise ship. Maybe you should have let off with that. (laughs) And that brings us to our guest today, Kyle LaDuke. Kyle is a seven-time Pro 4 off-road champion with 112 total wins in P4 and P Light. He's an experienced extreme e-racer, previously driving for Chip Ganassi Racing alongside Sarah Price. In 2022, Kyle and Sarah took home the grand prize at the 2022 Island Grand Prix in Sardinia, Italy. He's here to talk about all things extreme e, what it's like to race across the world, and what he's learned along the way. And I have an opening question Kind of like we're in like the awkward first day of school. Kyle, tell us a fun <laughs> fact about yourself that most people don't know. Uh, fun facts. Yeah, there's some there's some dumb facts. Uh, That's great. Perfect. Let's <laughs> no, go I think for it. I think the biggest thing about myself setting apart from other drivers is that we build our own uh, our our own race cars. So um, I physically hand build, weld, cut, design fabricate drive like i tend to try to do it all but um that's the thing that a lot of people might not affiliate you know drivers with doing is designing and sitting down and literally welding every inch of your own race car so that's uh that's a fun fact about me is i i almost enjoy building them more than i do driving them that designing aspect and just building a sick machine that you get to roll out from like nothing and then get to roll it out of your shop as a, as a functional race car is a pretty sick endeavor for me to do. And, and, and then luckily I just get to drive it. I'm good at it and I get to sit the thing and drive it. So that's exciting. That's so cool. Yeah. It's awesome. What do you think it is about off-road racing in particular that the building aspect is so uh, prevalent among drivers, like compared to other racing series, that's not super common, but it seems very common in the off-road world. I don't want to say it's because we're not at a level of motorsport like some of the other sports are to where we've got four full-time engineers and full-time fabricating, you know, shop and all that kind of stuff. So I don't want to tend to think that we're grassroots, but I think that's probably why most of it is, is because you kind of have to build what you want to go race. So yeah, that, mm-hmm. that kind of separates us a little bit, but it also is uh, really exciting. I mean, you look at F1 and every team has its own design and its own cars. And I think that's what's really cool about most of the sports that I do, aside from Extreme Me, is that every race car that rolls up to the starting line is could be completely 180, you know, different. I think that's really fun. Mm-hmm. Really fun as far as being in the shop and trying to innovate and trying to figure out what's next. What is it like actually actually driving the Extreme E cars? Would you mind kind of putting us in the cockpit with you, especially since it's a specs chassis for everyone? It's very unique to me in that aspect to be so restricted on what we can do and how we can modify it. I mean, we literally have to put the same bolt in the same hole as everybody else. There's uh, There's not a lot that we can do. There are some tuning things that we're allowed to do, but... I feel so limited when we would work on those cars and 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 drive those cars during the weekend because the stuff that we wanted to do is not even relevant to what we can do. So <laughs> it was tough in that aspect, but the, uh, the just the design of those cars is so different for me. The off-road world out here versus what's going on over in Europe, I know it's a completely different world, but it is literally a completely different world with the interiors. I mean, we're racing these off-road cars in greenland in the middle of these deserts and the the dash is you know suede 
and like <laughs> that is not exactly how it, and, and for one that's the first car i've ever raced with a windshield um and that might sound weird to you but oh wow uh yeah all of these helmets all the stuff we've ever used you have to run tear-offs you know these laminated things on your face to pull mm-hmm. off because the roost and the dirt actually hits you in the face so sitting in a car i wouldn't even call it a car it's more of an suv and with a windshield and then you race in mud, so you got to have windshield wipers and sprayers, and you're literally on the steering wheel pushing two buttons and trying to keep your vision clear. And it's <laughs> uh, it's it was a very very big learning curve for me uh, to look outside those cars. And and if you watch most of these races, they get blacked out. I mean, I don't know if you know what blackout is, but it's like if you hit a mattress or a blanket on the interstate. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's literally lights out for a little while, and you got to wait for the blades to catch up, and you might you might have a four inch little opening that you get to look through for for thirty seconds. So sometimes you see a lot of these crashes happen, and you go, "Man, that, how did they even do that? Like that was such a dumb crash." Most of the time, you just literally can't see a thing. So, uh, but if you slow down, yeah, it is. But if you slow down, then you lose. So it's it's like a balance of risk over uh, potential reward. So it's, it's, uh, they're, they're interesting racing, you know, and the way that they have it set up with, uh, you know, the different races, um, heat races and, and, and main events and all that, it's, there's some strategy in it. So it's, it's an interesting, interesting part of motorsports that's new to me. Yeah. And I'm very curious, like you're doing all these buttons and you're trying to see, and you're doing all this stuff when it comes to the actual driving, because you're in this fully electric SUV, are there any new skills you had to learn in terms of driving the vehicle? Yeah, big time. Well, partly because I was there from the beginning of it. So, you know, when we first got the cars, they were so green. (laughs) A lot of the, a lot of the, (laughs) not in a electric way, but in a way that it was like, we needed them to do so much more for us to race them right that they weren't their spark and and, mm-hmm. and the series they weren't there component wise yet to be able to get us happy i guess as drivers um and be able to drive what mm-hmm. we wanted to be so it was it was it was a push and pull you know we'd get some some more options and then they would have to turn them down and um surprisingly those cars have way more in them than what they're racing now. When we've gone testing, we've been able to turn those cars up to uh, to full speed, uh, 400 kilowatts. Um, but they don't go very far that fast in that art. Mm-hmm. So, you know, recently they've gotten better batteries. I mean, there's been so much development in just two years. Uh, those cars have come a long way and the designers and the team. So it's, uh, it's an always evolving thing, but getting in those cars the weirdest part for me i think and for anyone is the noise right when you're sitting there on the start line and you're all sitting there mm-hmm. gun hole ready looking at the light it's silent <laughs> like there's no there's you're just in an empty car and your foot's about to hit the gas hit the gas and then you know normally you're on the red limiter you know like you're you're ready to go off the line and this thing you're all just mm-hmm. sitting there i mean you can you could talk to each other basically on the start line. It's so weird. <laughs> and then once you launch, there's obviously engine noise and some drivetrain noise. But the biggest noise when you drive these cars is the debris coming off the front tires, hitting these huge hollow carbon fiber side pods that are on the side. And it's so loud just from the 
rocks. Like I brought up Greenland before, but that was like in a riverbed and they were like tennis ball sized rocks. And it was so loud and it beat the crap out of the bottom of the car so bad. It's interesting because when you slide or hook a rut and something, all of a sudden this huge wave of dirt comes across the metal skip plates and the carbon. And it's literally so loud in there. It's, it's crazy. Normally you don't get to hear that because <laughs> of the engine noise, you know, that was a big learning curve is, is listening to the car and listening to the motor and not have that anymore. It, was, it took some time to get used to. And I think Elizabeth was in Greenland, right, Elizabeth? I was in fact in Greenland. Uh, I had an absolutely delightful time. It was Wild to be out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And I think that's something I also want to know. Like, it was strange for me just to go and, like, be in this whole new place as a writer. But, like, what is it like to arrive as a driver, unpack, and go race? Um, Like, did you enjoy the food options? We really didn't have many. (laughs) Yeah, true. Actually, uh, you know, that trip, we were fortunately able to stay on the boat. Um, so they had plenty of food there. The series has their own ship. We were able to stay on that, but we mm. did eat downtown in the cafeteria and places like that. But yeah, obviously it's not, it's not amazing, but it's where you are and what you're doing. You know what I mean? Even at the track, when you're eating the track food, it's, there's nothing to complain about because, you know, you could be hot dogs and, and cheeseburgers, but they, they take care of us and everyone there pretty well. That track was pretty amazing because you had to, they had to get like this their own charter jet to fly there because it's not like a main airport there. Um, and as you're coming in, the views were insane, looking over the ice and all that kind of stuff. And uh, as soon as I got there, I was off the plane for maybe 20 minutes and they put me on this little truck and they hauled me up to the top of this road and we hiked for about two hours on the ice caps on the glacier. Oh, they asked me if I wanted to do it. And I was like, yeah, why, dude, I'm only going to be here once or twice in my life. I'm sure. So yeah. And, uh, so I hiked up that for two hours and we set up camp at like 1130 at night. We got to see the Northern lights and screw your tent into the ice. Like mm. it was a pretty rad experience for Whoa. me. Uh, some people hated it sleeping up there, but I don't know. It was, it was pretty rad. That's so cool. That honestly sounds super cool. And like, you know, you can sell people on that alone. And I'm very curious when you're talking to non-racing fans about Extreme E, what is your line? Like, what do you tell them to get them into this? Yeah, I mean, there's there's ways to talk about the the efficiency and the, the going green and how they, you know, how they charge the race cars and how we do stuff in the middle of nowhere and do it for a cause. There's There's definitely a lot of stories and angles. But I think the best part about it is just the all-out fist fight. And it sounds bad, but it's an all-out fist fight between men and women <laughs> on a racetrack. I mean, that's that's the, mm-hmm. the gist of it. And, uh, you know, I think it's really cool uh, how they've overlapped the male-female driver aspect. There's been several times where, you know, normally all the guys will race and then the girls will do a section. So sometimes they they it goes pretty standard, but sometimes there'll be an odd duck. And sometimes that's us. That was our team. Mm-hmm. I would line up against four other females or I would get in second and have to catch four other. And sometimes I did a great. And sometimes I smashed into people and crashed and made a, uh, made some highlight reels in my time. <laughs> for sure. Um, but no, there's just, I just think there's so many stories to tell about it. I think I can, I can pick and choose any single person and get that person interested in it because either they're they're into electric 
cars. Okay, so that's a whole other group. There's a whole other group of off-road racers that would be interested in it. Then there's this whole rally aspect of, you know, Loeb and signs and all these people and, and Nasser and then there's the F1 aspect of these team owners and all of this stuff. Like it's a it's a big, easy way to tell a story. And I think that's why there's a lot of excitement behind it, is because it's not just, hey, we built the same old rally car that exists and we're gonna go on the same old course that's always been here. It's it's so many new features. Um, that's pretty exciting. And I think they're working their tail off to even try and pull this off. I don't know, I don't know how they logistically get it done, but they're, uh, they're masters at it for sure. We went over a little bit of F1's connection to extreming, but for our listeners, have you ever met anyone from the F1 world, like a driver or a team principal? And do you have any fun anecdotes you would share with us? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it's pretty crazy. I'm a I'm a big fan of, of Formula One and have been for four or five years. And uh, once we started doing the extreme E, obviously we know you know Lewis Hamilton was the team owner of of uh, of a team, and then. Um, Nico Rosberg was involved with RXR and then Carlos Sainz senior and junior were involved and just, uh, and then McLaren came in, you know, so they have their engineers at the track and it was, uh, it was always pretty cool. Cause when we very first got the cars back in 2019, I think we did a test out in Spain and, uh, it was really cool. A small track, big field. Nobody knew anybody. I didn't know Nico Rosberg. I didn't know, uh, sorry, Johan Christofferson. I didn't, I've never met Sebastian Loeb. I didn't know any of these people. So we go out there and we set up our truck the way we think it is and do our stuff. And uh, we're running really fast. You know, I was faster. It was quick. Every time we went out, we set fastest lap. And it was so fun because we're all in these garages, kind of like F1 garages and we back in. And uh, next to us was RXR. And the other side was uh, signs. And there was a moment where I have a picture on my phone of, of, of uh, Rossberg sitting out front of our pit on his knees looking underneath our hood trying to see where we had our spring settings and you can kind of tell what springs you had and me and my crew chief Travis are looking at him I'm like dude that's like that's the world champion out there like scoping our stuff and uh so he was pretending to be on his phone like oh I'm on a conversation right now but I can't you know he was he was looking so then we went later, and then we went later and did another session and came back, and uh, we were quick as well. And and comes from the other side is uh, Signs Junior. Um, so he comes over. I'm like, oh crap, man, he's there, and there's all like media all filming around him. And sure as crap, dude, he takes a knee right in front of our truck, and he's looking underneath our hood. And uh, we had tried my first laugh, dude. I'm like, oh my god, these guys are going. I'm like, you know what? Pull that door down. It's has a garage door. Mm-hmm. He's like, you think I should? I'm like, dude, who's, he's just another guy. I'm like, I don't want him stealing our ideas. So he walked over right in front of Junior and just starts pulling the garage door down, slams it right in front of his face. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was brutal, but it was, it was cool because like we had those guys looking at our stuff and it was, it was always uh, a big pat on the back for us to come right out, you know? And, and I remember having great conversations with Nico. He was really nice. Cool guy, man. He's a really nice guy. And he always asked because I did some preseason jumping and uh, him and his team could not understand how I could jump the truck and have it not kick or have it do certain things. I remember him coming up to me. He's like, man, I don't know how you fly these cars, like how you jump these things. And, uh, you know, I didn't really tell him much because he was competition at the time. Yeah. (laughs) Another quick two seconds was we went to the first race 
uh, I think it was in Saudi, and we're doing the track walk, and we're all in, in SUVs, and we stop on this huge hill. I mean, it was a steep drop. I don't even know, three, 400 feet down the hill. And Chip Canassi's in the truck with us. And we get out, and we stop, and we're looking down it. And I'm, you know, looking as the driver. And then another truck comes up, and RXR pulls out, and Nico jumps out, and they're talking, whatever. And Chip looks at me, he's like, God, what do you think on this hill? What do you think we should do here? And I'm looking up, looking down at the bottom. I'm like, oh, it's it's flat out over the top, and you'll just jump about halfway down. And and Jeez. Chip and Nico both slap <laughs> each other like, dude, this kid is crazy. He Nico's like, you can jump down that? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you go through El Rouge at 200 plus miles an hour flat footer, and you're telling me I'm crazy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, dude, I'm like, you're just you're just out of your element, dude. This is this is nothing. And sure as sure enough, you know, you go up and practice and you start launching it. And when you watch the replays, you can hear the crowd going crazy, like freaking out because you're launching these cars down these hills. But to us, it's just stuff that we've done all day every day. So it's cool. That's so fun. I love the I love the juxtaposition of people who do wild things in one discipline and people who do wild things in another discipline trying to wrap their heads around each of yeah. them. Mm-hmm. And what's cool about Extreme E is you're in the middle of this desert and it's not like you can isolate from each other. You're all tent by tent by tent. And then there's a big place where you go and you eat and like you can just walk <laughs> up and sit next to any of them and, and BS and talk and it's all race teams and there's zero fans and spectators there when you're there back in that area. So it's really cool because, you know, like you talk about engineers and stuff and, and and you look at the people that were coming from Andretti's and the Ganassi team and, and McLaren and you don't know these people. I don't know these people. But then all of a sudden I'll be watching F1 and I see the head engineer from the team on there and I'm like, oh, dude, she was at the Extreme race. I'm like, I know that lady. <laughs> it's, it's cool because it just it takes them out of their their prestigious element right and just sticks you all in the desert you're mm-hmm. all just camping in the desert so extreme definitely has it figured out and uh you know a lot of my partners is, is as far as sponsors and you know supporters have helped get us there along the way so it's been uh it's been quite the road trip for me myself my sponsors my family it's uh yeah it was it was a journey for sure it was an amazing ride you've sold me on on extreme e for sure i've watched i've watched highlights here and there but now it's like that everything you're talking about i'm i'm in i love it it sounds awesome what does the uh the future look like for you kyle well i could go back in time in my uh time machine and go check it and check it out but i don't know i mean there's there's a lot of different things that i would like to do i'd like to get back to extreme e um i'd like to uh do a lot of things obviously uh Right now, I'm I'm battling uh, fighting stage four cancer, so I have not been able to compete this year. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. you know that was part of the reason I had to part ways with Ganassi, uh, racing the extreme meet. Uh, I had this come up at the end of my season last year, and um, they had to bring on R.J. Anderson to to kind of fill in for me when with Sarah. They did a couple events and we talked about running 2023 together and it just wasn't in the cards for me with uh, my treatments and what I'm going through. So uh, they brought in RJ full time and uh, yeah, I haven't been racing this year, which is the first time in 20 some odd years. I haven't been behind the wheel. So it's uh, it's been tough. Things are going OK. Things are going good health wise. Um, but yeah, long road ahead. Many years of, of, of this and dealing with it and keeping it away and trying to focus on my life and future and racing and 
if I get to do this a lot longer, I'm I'm gonna do it a lot longer and a lot harder. That's for sure. Well, I've been I've been around a lot of old racers in the drag racing community. If I know anything, it's that motorsport is a really great motivator and and uh, guiding light forward yeah, big time. through times yeah. like this. <laughs> All right, so now it's time though for boyfriend of the week, Kyle. This is our recurring segment where we just acknowledge who is the best this week. It can be anybody. It can be a driver, a car. It could be someone online who said something nice or mean or whatever. Who's good enough to be our boyfriend of the week this week? And Kyle, this is middle school rules. So this is one week only. <laughs> um, you got one, Liz? Uh, so it is Formula One summer break, and I am selecting Charles Leclerc's tiny life jacket as <laughs> my boyfriend of the week in his most recent Instagram post. Uh, it is a photo of him in Italy standing out in the water with a life jacket that looks about child size. And the caption is nothing but, yes, the life jacket is way too small. <laughs> okay, Elizabeth, <laughs> I almost picked because I'm going through the F1 summer break photos. Because last year, I copied Charles Leclerc, one of his summer break photos. And there was a photo Charles Leclerc posted like probably a week ago, of him and, like, six friends. And it took me about 25 seconds to find out yes. which one was actually him because they're just all dudes. I was going to say, it's just it's a bunch just of dude-looking dude dudes. dudes. in white shirts. They all look very well-groomed. They're like, I was like, oh, my, where is he? Which one is he? And I finally found him. So I almost picked that. <laughs> But my actual pick for Boyfriend of the Week this week is Portia because Portia would not let me do this podcast by myself. She this tore is up. your cat. This not, is my cat. Not the, not the automotive. No, thing. no, no. This is my cat. She would not let me do this <laughs> podcast. She ripped my entire office apart. She had a fit the whole time. She's a toddler. And I love her because if I could just have a fit about the smallest things in life, uh, that would be wonderful. And I envy her. So Portia is my Boyfriend of the Week. Nolan, who is your boyfriend of the week? I think I'm going to sort of, I started thinking about this before you brought it up, Alanis, but I think my, I have multiple boyfriends of the week. They are the anonymous friends of all the <laughs> F1 drivers who are in the background. You're like, what do you do? What's your who life you? like? Do you get to just like hang out and enjoy the spoils of being an F1 driver without having to actually drive anything? That sounds like an awesome life. And therefore I envy you today, but not next week. Anyway, that those are my boyfriends of the week. All the, all the... <laughs> rich the rich boys that's incredible anyway. nolan <laughs> yeah. um kyle who is your boyfriend of the week i saw a post on 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 instagram of you know everybody gets the pictures of the, of the f1 cars when they crash and they get to pull them out and they get to see all the other pants underpants uh-huh i remember seeing all of that with red bull and all that stuff earlier in the year and uh somebody posted a picture of four i think it's like a matchbox car they're all up against the back and it's like i get to see the underside of all the race cars and it only cost me like 12 dollars or something yeah. and uh, <laughs> i just wonder how That's accurate amazing. or like how true that actually is because like you look at them and they're all different i wonder how true to life they actually are or if they built them off of those pictures that they showed up there. yeah Maybe the teams the teams have like moles feeding the the underside data <laughs> yeah. to Mattel so they can get the most accurate diecast car. That is so funny because I was at Walmart the other day and they now sell F1 diecasts at Walmart and I bought two diecasts and they were nine dollars each and now I'm gonna Jeez, open the box. I yeah now. I'm going to open the box and I'm going to look at the floors. And now I feel like I've gotten some secret information. Wow, Kyle, that was great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. You, 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 you always watch these shows and you wonder, you know, they all 
they all, you know, the crew puts their hands up because they know how much work they have to do and they crash it, right? But then, could you imagine the people back at the back at the offices, yeah. back in the thing, when they're like, mm-hmm. please don't lift it up, please don't lift, no, they show it yeah. just going over the roof. For they're real. back there pulling their yeah. hair out. Oh, that is incredible. What a great boyfriend of the week. Thank you so much for putting the the effort into that. That was wonderful. Thank you, listeners, for listening to the Donut Racing Show. We will be back next week to talk about the Dutch Grand Prix. Ooh. In the meantime, uh, make sure to subscribe to Donut Racing Show. Tell your friends about it. Uh, and if you want to leave us a five-star and kindly worded review, it really helps us out. Uh, like like this one. Uh, love the review. Uh, love the episode about the weird things drivers do for press. Fun to be reminded of the good days of Pierre and Sonoda. I miss seeing them together on the same team. Also, where is Boyfriend of the Week? That must have been a week that we didn't do it. Uh, <laughs> I was looking to, looking forward to hearing Soul Burner, that's me, nominate Norris once more. Hey, I don't appreciate being called out like that. Love the show. Favorite thing about Wednesdays. Love John from Norway. Thank you so much, John from Norway. Again, if you uh, leave a nice review like that or a funny one, it doesn't have to be nice, just like kind of funny, we might read it on the show. If you're not familiar with Donut, we have a YouTube channel as well as an automotive history podcast called Pass Gas. So make sure to check those out. And we have a guest today. Kyle, where can we find you on social media? Uh, My tag on there is uh, at KyleDuke99. So if you want to check it out, I do some a lot of racing stuff and a lot of family stuff with myself and the kids. and Or you can just text me direct at uh, – no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have your own uh, race shop? Are you still building I, I building do. Cars? Yep, I have a shop here. I'm up in my office above the shop, and directly before, below me is a brand-new uh, Pro 4 that I've been tinkering on while I've been oh, sitting awesome. here at home on my, on my good days. So trying to Super design cool. and, and come up with stuff to uh, win more of those behind me, those trophies. Yeah, (laughs) that's good stuff. Thank you, Kyle. You can find Kyle online. We can also find DRS on Twitter at Donut Racing Show and email us at DonutRacingShow at DonutMedia.com. Alanis is Alanis and King on Twitter and Instagram. I am Eliz underscore Blackstock on Twitter and Eliz A. Blackstock on Instagram. And Nolan is Nolan J. Sykes. And I have a YouTube channel and it's Alanis No In king so just alan is king on youtube i'm doing stuff over there we're we're going places and driving cars and my husband is editing all the videos because he's a wonderful and funny person and i love him so much um thank you all so much for listening we will see you next week bye bye